You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. And good morning, everybody. It is good to see you here. I know that this is a holiday weekend. The weather's nice. Man, am I glad you showed up. Because I've tried preaching in here by myself, and it's not very much fun whatsoever. Some of you remember COVID, right? There's many times I had to preach online, and my only audience was Pastor Malik and Pastor Austin. I mean, I love them, but they, they did not bring much energy to the room, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, hey, so today you'll see a series called Flourish Under Adversity. This is actually a, a modified continuation of the Gospel of Mark when we were talking about faith under fire, because one of the things that the Gospel of Mark also addresses is the fact that we're supposed to be productive even in the middle of adversity. Adversity is never an excuse with our faith to go on hold and do nothing. And so there's a lot of things inside the Gospel of Mark that talk about how to flourish under adversity. So would everybody stand for the reading of the Word? And we're going to read a parable which is very familiar. It's the parable of the sower, but we're going to be putting it in the context of what we've been talking about as it relates to those Christians in Rome. And so suddenly there's a whole other understanding and, and meaning attached to this. So Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, let's read. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out of the, on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you do bless the word as it is taught today. Your word has a way of meeting a variety of needs. It has a way, the Holy Spirit, of taking the word and speaking to our hearts, influencing our values, our morals, our purposes. And we ask that the Holy Spirit do that today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you and be seated. So as we're looking at this series and we've read the text that we're looking at today, one of the things that I want you to recognize is this is actually a parable that is mentioned in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So 
A little bit of background here. Matthew was writing to the Jewish people, trying to prove to them in his gospel that Jesus was the Messiah. He, a little factoid here, he quotes the Old Testament over 66 times. And so what he's trying to do is show them that, yes, the, your Messiah has come and his name is Jesus. Well, he used this parable to speak to the, to the Jewish people. But we also see that Mark does this with the Roman Christians and then Luke did it with the Gentiles. And so not only do we have this parable going to three different audiences uh, in the Gospels, but on top of that is this. Many of you have probably heard a message based on the parable of the sower. At some point, sometime, somewhere, and the background of what we're doing with Mark was probably never mentioned. And it's one of those, it's one of those parables that can be taught without referencing the context, and you're still going to be biblically sound teaching it. I mean, you can just take the parable, there's a farmer, there's sow, he's sowing seed, and you can preach that and not have to have the background of Matthew, Mark, or Luke. You're fine. That's one of the reasons it's such a popular parable, because it has so many different applications. But what I want us to see is this. Teaching this parable with the context, meaning Mark, as a backdrop, produces some really interesting insights. Once you have the mindset of the Christians who were receiving his gospel, and when they read that parable in the context that they were sitting, man, there is a host of, of, of insights and teachings that come forth. And so I'm hoping today you hear some things about this parable that you've never heard before. But again, the context is what sets the stage for this. So let me just set it up. The Gospel of Mark was written to the uh, followers of Christ, and it was circulated among them. Uh, uh, in Rome, they were under the persecution of Rome, of Nero. Nero had blamed them for the fire at Rome. Now, he, he knew they didn't do it. He had done it. He just needed a scapegoat. And so the Christians were a wonderful scapegoat. And he had the courts all set up. Everything was rigged that they would always be convicted. And so this, this gospel is being written to those Christians who are being condemned to death, being arrested and being pursued and, and being condemned to death. Now you're probably, you just, just pause a minute. You think, wow, there's a lot of things you could say to them. I'm not sure what the parable of the sower does for them. You just kind of read it and go, I mean, I'm not saying it's not an important passage of Scripture. I'm not saying it's not an important thing that Jesus taught. I'm just not seeing the connection of the parable to people in that context. And how many know that's why you come to church and Pastor Greg helps you all that? Yeah, we're going we're gonna to connect. Why did Mark feel that this was such a critical parable to give to them? So what I want you to recognize is this, about this parable. It's amazing what is said, okay? Not only in the parable, but I'm just going to say the gospel of Mark as a whole. It's amazing what is said because you have an outright leader who is anti-God. In fact, he says he, he's a God and he's ordering everybody to honor him as a God. And his penalty for not doing that is to take your life. Okay, So it's amazing what Mark does say, but you know what's really interesting? It's what he doesn't say. You read the whole gospel. If I didn't tell you that Nero was the emperor, was the Caesar, was the world leader, you wouldn't know it. If I didn't tell you about all the death and the destruction that is happening in that particular day, you can't read his gospel and figure that out. It's, it's really amazing. 
It's amazing what he's silent about. And you know, there's some people today who would blame Mark for going soft and being a coward and not, not, and not standing up. And they would have a lot of things. So it, but again, it's amazing what he says, because we're going to look at some of that, but it's amazing what he doesn't say. And yet none of us today who are followers of Christ and understand the inspiration of Scripture would go, well, I never thought of that. Yeah. I'm, the gospel's adequate, but there are people who would criticize Mark for, you need to be a little more clear. You need to stand up. You need to have a voice. You need to speak to these things. You're like, hey, I'm doing that. I just may not be doing it your way. How many other some lessons for us today? Already. All right. So we're going to look at four different things, okay? And uh, don't worry, you think, four points, he's going to get us out of here early. No, I'm not. <laughs> number, point number two goes on and on and on and on. So here we go. Number one, read it out loud. Learn to see the spiritual activity behind the human activity. As we read the parable, did you notice he's using the analogy of the gospel being the seed and it's coming into a person's life, but what he's saying is the person who's receiving it has things in their life, and some of those barriers in a person's life prevents the seed from taking root. They all heard it, but he had all these different responses. And what was the problem? The problem was not the seed. The problem was, was what was in the soil. And so what you begin to recognize is this. Mark is demonstrating that the exterior world is the result of people's interior world. He's actually addressing the climate that he's in and the political persecution and all the challenges that are going on. And what he's doing with this parable is he's saying, what you're seeing happen is a product of what people have in their heart when the situation comes to them, it's what's already in them that is causing the problem. They hear the gospel. Hey, let me trust, trust me. Nero heard the gospel. You couldn't be persecuting and condemning the Christians and one of them not give some type of testimony or statement even to Nero. So we know that Nero heard the gospel. But the problem was, was what he had in his heart. And even though that same message to another person might have changed somebody's life, all it did with Nero is make him more hard and condemn these people to death. The same voice, the same message changes one person's life but makes him even more hard towards this thing. And he's demonstrating through this parable, it's what is in a person's heart. It's that interior world that is contributing to what you see on the exterior world. Notice he never speaks about some kind of political or military reaction or action towards the government. What he talks about is this. This is a product of man's heart, and nothing's going to change unless you address the heart. And he says this, especially as it relates to the response of the word, the Bible. It's ironic. The gospel that can change some people's lives, isn't it ironic that the same gospel can make people so angry? You just sometimes go, wow, it's amazing. If, if there are contexts that I go in and I can, I can quote a scripture, I can say a prayer, and it doesn't even have to be a church context. And it's so valued and it's so appreciative. And then literally you can go around the corner and somebody else heard the same statement or the same prayer and they go, you can't do that. That's illegal separation of church and state. 
It's so ironic. On one hand, it was welcomed and embraced and people loved it. And then right around the corner is somebody who's ready to take legal action against you. It's the same gospel in both contexts. What, you know what the real problem is? It's not the exterior, it's the interior. It's here. That's what the gospel is showing. And so what he's telling, what he's telling the Christians here who are under persecution, your problem is a conflict in people's interior world. It's not the exterior. It's interior. That's what you're seeing. That's where the real battle, the conflict is. And so what I tell us, what I think we need to learn today, hey, why don't we read this? Come on, say it out loud. Learn the... I got about 10 amens. There are expressions that my government might give me the right to say, but they're not biblical. My freedoms must be guided by my biblical mandates. And so some people need to understand that just because, well, well, that's what us Americans do. That just because it's American doesn't make it biblical. And the bar and the standard as a follower of Christ in learning to respond to people I disagree with policies or I disagree with their approaches or their mentality or whatever they're doing, I have to understand my bar as a follower of Christ is much higher than my bar as an American citizen. I thank God I live in a country where I have the ability to vote. I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons that this nation was created was we are given the ability to vote, and we're given frequent abilities to vote so that we don't have to take to the streets. Yeah, I'm giving you a civics lesson. You know? So we vote so that we don't have to go physical. That's, that's just, it's, ne it's never going to end well. And, and some people say, well, what about our forefathers? I say, are you talking American forefathers or are you talking my biblical ones? Because my biblical forefathers have more influence than my American forefathers. You say, well, are you back? I thank God I live in America and I exercise my right to vote. And I do, I do let my politicians know that represent us and I do it with respect and dignity. I don't try to uh, present myself that would, that would cause a rift between me. Just because somebody has a difference of opinion doesn't give you a right to roll them under the bus. Even Jesus ate dinner with the tax collectors and they were a bunch of ripoff artists in his day. They were. They had a minimum fee that they had to give Rome per citizen. Anything that they got above that minimum fee out of a citizen, they got to keep. So literally, how, how often can you have a policy where I get to keep 100% of the profit of whatever I get out of you? So there was every reason for a tax collector to cheat people because it was 100% theirs. And Jesus goes and has a dinner. He was not approving of their tactics. He was not approving of how they were doing it. But how do you change tax collectors if you're not going to talk to them? We all want, you know, well, I'm going to shun them. And when was the last time you ever heard somebody say, I accepted Jesus when everybody stopped talking to me? You ever hear that testimony? I've never heard it. You know what I hear? I was mean. I cheated people. 
And they just, they just wouldn't go away. They just kept loving me. Kept telling me they'd pray for me. Everybody abandoned me but this friend of mine, and he was a Christian. But everybody, everybody took off, but I had one friend left. He was a Christian. And he should have taken off if he would have known what was good for him, but he didn't. He just kept, he kept caring. That's what we do, people. I can tell this is going good, so I'll get to point number two. You always know when it's quiet. Move on. Read it out loud. Adversity reveals... Adversity reveals the makeup of our heart. So he's saying the exterior world is a product of the interior world. Well, how do you know what's going on in the interior world? Adversity reveals what is going on. So notice we have to slow down because this is a parable that is so familiar. We sometimes miss the unique messaging that is happening in how they tell the story in their gospel. And this is one in the gospel of Mark. Notice what he says. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. Now notice this. As soon as they hear it, everybody, what's the next two words? Satan comes. And takes away the word that was sown in. They hear it, and immediately there is a demonic influence that prevents that word from getting traction. He says immediately. Right then. And notice what he's saying. There is a spiritual, demonic force conflict that is happening. And I know that sometimes when you say that, that can make people feel like they're victims. Well, what can I do about that? Have I ever told you one of the best things I can teach you is how to pray? How many many have heard me mention that to you before? I just want to see who's taking notes and who isn't. Okay, that's good. All right. Yeah, one of the best things I can ever do is to teach you how to pray. Why? Because you can't take a swing at darkness with a protest. You can't take a swing at darkness with a petition. You can't take a swing at darkness with screaming and yelling. And you know how you take a sw- you, you know how you take a swing with dark take a swing at darkness in prayer. Darkness wants you to do all the other stuff because darkness doesn't fear that. But the demonic forces they fear when God's people start to pray. We have to recognize another dimension of conflict and put our efforts into things that take a real swing and, a, and put a real dent in darkness. And that is done in how we pray. That's why we take the time in the service to say, everybody lift your voice. I don't know if you've ever thought of this. I could stand up here and I could pray through a microphone for you. And while I'm praying, you're silent. That's a, that's a model that's used in so many venues. And so if I pray for one minute while you listen, that is one minute of prayer. I know that one minute of prayer can make a difference. I know that. But stay with me. We, let's say we have 300 people in here right now. If 300 people pray for one minute out loud, that's 300 minutes. That's five hours. Come on, man, think this through. Which one do you think is going to make a bigger dent in darkness? One minute of prayer or five hours? Five hours of a prayer will make a dent into darkness. And that's why I say we have to know how this works and why. That's the power of corporate prayer. When we all lift our voice, 
it gives a it's, a, it's a vehicle for the activity of the Holy Spirit to go into another dimension that many times we cannot get by ourselves. That's why I say, everybody lift your voice. There's a time to sing, hear me? There's a time to sing, but we also need to recognize there's a time to pray. And we must never use singing as a substitute for praying. It's not either or, it's both. Everybody said amen? amen. So, then he goes on, he says there's seed on rocky places. Others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Totally describes people who are being put on the spot in that day, say, deny Jesus or you die. It call the emperor or God or you die. He's explaining, let me tell you why you have people who are denying their faith. Because they received it with joy. The problem that you see saying is they have no root. Trouble and persecution has come. And they're like, I'm out. They're tapping. Nope. I'll serve Jesus, but I am, I'm not doing the ultimate sacrifice. No way. Not me. Not my family. I'm tapping out. I'm done. Let's move on. And he said, what's happened is this. Their seed fell on rocky places. The pressure came, the heat came, and they withered up. This past summer, or past spring, I've had challenges in getting grass to grow in my yard. I don't know what it is about Virginia. See, I grew up in Indiana where everything has six to ten inches of topsoil on it. It's the easiest thing in the world, man. Throw the seed. Boom! Instant grass, baby. I mean, you don't even know half to how it works. Just throw it out there and let her go. You know, come to, come to Virginia and it's like, man, this stuff is like, I don't know, if there's, is there any new? How do the trees get so tall and the grass can't make it? That's, you know, it's a quandary I'm in. It's like, how do the trees do so well here in the grass? So I hired a guy to come in and he, he said, man, your soil is like concrete. You got to break that up. So he had this uh, hole puncher, you know, aerate your yard. And then we put some topsoil in those holes. So he's punching. And all of a sudden, man, I hear these, you know, he's ch chugging along. And all of a sudden, boom, boom. I thought it was like a shotgun. My first thought was, oh, my goodness, he hit a gas line. <laughs> and he's, he started pulling up these rocks and I mean they're like this they were only like a half inch or an inch below the soil but they were like this and the, the hole puncher would hit that thing and just it just made this awful racket and I mean he's pulling rocks out left and right and he's like yeah you ain't gonna get, you, you can fertilize that spot all you want <laughs> okay he said not even I can get grass to grow in that spot why because the problem was was right you couldn't see it but right under the surface, about an inch, about a half inch to an inch, were these rocks that were scattered in my yard that had been covered up. And so, the, so what happens is this. Adversity is like having that hole puncher, that aeration machine, and it hits rocks. It reveals. You know why you can't get anything to grow there? Because you got rocks. You got to deal with it. It's the only way anything, see, as long as, as long as the rain was consistent and it didn't get super hot, there was enough soil there that it could get a root. But then once things got a little dry around here and the rain wasn't consistent, it was all, they stay, I'd have these brown patches. I'm blaming groundhogs, I'm blaming anything that comes in the yard, that they're the ones that, no, it was rocks under the soil. 
Never had a chance. Then he says this, then there's seed among the thorns. Still others like seed sown among the thorns. Hear the word. Notice they all hear it. They hear it. But the worries of this life, this deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Nero is saying, deny, if, you don't, if you don't accept me as God, if you don't deny your God, I'll take everything you got. And there were some people going, I love my stuff. I'm not giving it up. I'll, I'll make the shift. I'll make the change. And there were other Christians who were saying, no, I'm not going to do that. And it was hard. Like, why, why, are, why, are you, why are you shifting everything in your life for your stuff? Why are you doing that? And he's telling them, he says, it's the worries of life. Notice he said, the deceitfulness of wealth. So we have to recognize that wealth is a great tool, but wealth is a lousy God. Hey, I don't know if you've ever thought of this. It's kind of a succinct way of just kind of summarizing life real quick. It helps. You realize that when you die in less than 48 hours, less, everything you've ever owned and earned goes to someone who didn't work for it. And then they're going to spend it in ways that you would never do. And they're going to do things with it. You go, but see, we get so, what happens is we get emotionally attached to our stuff. There's an emotional bond. And he's just saying, be careful that the stuff around you doesn't deceive you. Because if you're not careful, that stuff will be the thing that makes, helps, or that will be making the decisions for you, not your faith. And then he finally says this. Others like seed sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. What I want you to understand is, is these are people, most of the people reading this under this time are incarcerated and waiting the day of their execution. And he says, you're to be productive. You're like, how am I supposed to do that? <laughs> how am I supposed to do 30, 60, 100-fold? Do you see where I'm sitting? Do you see what my future looks like? Uh, maybe if I get out of here and I live, but I fail to understand. how He doesn't say because you're incarcerated and you're condemned to die, you get a pass. No, he actually says, no, you're still obligated. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. You are expected to have 30, 60, and 100 times. You say, well, how do they do that? Because as followers of Christ is this. Maybe the people in the cells around me as followers of Christ are, are also followers, so how do I reproduce myself? You still have the Roman guards. You still have the Roman judicial system. You have the Roman authorities who are interacting with you. You you still have the ability to be productive. Wow. Be productive with the people who are condemning me. Be productive with the people who are making my life miserable, my family's life miserable. There's this notion that if it's hard, I don't have to do it. Really? Sometimes I will acknowledge, yeah, some people have more battles than other people. But just because you have a bigger struggle doesn't mean you get a pass. Some of you struggle not speeding. Some of you struggle more than other people. I know the officers that attend the church have told me. (laughs) 
Every officer will say, yeah, I've got repeat customers. I know what time, I know what road, and I know how fast they'll be going. And I've ticketed them before, and for some reason it does not phase them. And so I go back out there to remind them. I don't know, I just... I just seem to get caught up. I just have a hard time. And I, like, I'm sorry you have a more difficult time driving the speed limit, but they're not changing it for you. We think, well, it's hard, so I get a pass. You know, some people know how to do their taxes. And others, you, you know, you look at the papers and the laws and you just go, I don't know where to begin. Just try, where do you think this is going to go? You don't fill out taxes because it was hard. Try that as an argument, the IRS. You know, I haven't seen any returns out of you for three years. Yeah, I just found it too hard and too confusing. And I'm sure the IRS goes, well, I totally understand. You get a pass. No. Just because it's hard, more hard for you, doesn't mean you get a pass from doing your taxes. Okay, so you have to put more effort into it. You may have to hire somebody. You may have to pay money that other people don't have to pay to get it done. But the point is, just because it's hard doesn't mean you get a pass. It, there are people who come to the faith. They go, oh, I can do that. I can do that. Oh, I, now that's hard. So I, I don't think I, I, yeah. You don't know, understand my, I've had people tell me, Pastor, you don't understand my situation, so I don't think I should apply to me. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, that's difficult for you. Um, actually, maybe that's God's way of drawing a target, going zero in here. Maybe that's, maybe that's your stronghold. Maybe for other people it's not, but that's your stronghold. And you don't get a pass just because it's your stronghold. You just don't get to go around it and keep moving. You've got to deal with it. You have to address it. God, listen to me, God expects us to flourish. Well, you don't know how hard it is. God says flourish anyway. Well, you don't know how hard flourish anyway. We must avoid a survival mentality and maintain a thrive mentality. God has put us here to make a difference. God didn't put us here to hang on, go into a bunker, and wait out the disasters of the world. He said, no, you're the salt and the light. Even when the disasters are unfolding, don't hide, don't run, be salt, be light. Everybody said amen. amen. Then, number three, read this out loud. We don't. We don't need the right political, you know, well, when the White House, the House, the Senate, the Supreme Court, when they this, the supervisors, the board of them, can, will you, let me tell you something about our faith. Our faith has thrived in so many contexts, even when all the cultural forces were against it, and I, I wasn't demeaning any political office that I but you do hear people make references and you're like really you're holding your faith is on hold until something shifts really do you realize how long you're going to be on hold uh so this is a text that I'm going to read 
Jesus, it's, like I said, it's amazing what the Gospel of Mark addresses. It's amazing what he doesn't address. This is one of those when you understand the backdrop and he puts this story in, this is like, wow, can't believe he put this one in. Really. I mean, we, we know the story, but with the context, it adds a whole nother, like, wow, he, he took a live grenade and he handled it. And, he's, and so what's happening here is this. Jesus is, uh, he's being confronted by the Pharisees and the Herodians. They are on opposite sides of the aisle. One, Herodians say you need to pay your taxes to Rome. And the Pharisees say, uh-uh-uh, you pay your taxes to the, to the temple, but don't pay Rome. They're on opposite sides of the aisle. So they come to ask Jesus a question. That's a sign right there that this is a setup because why are those two people standing next to one another, right? So it's a political hit job. And I'm not adding to the story, but this is a political hit job that they're trying to put on Jesus. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. Yeah, right. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. How many can just smell this coming a mile away? But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? No matter how he answers, he's got half the crowd that's going to go after him. In verse 15, should we pay or shouldn't we? I mean, there you go, there it is. Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he, said, he asked. Bring me a Daenerys and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. He's saying you pay both. It's not, you're, you're doing either or. Now let me tell you where the rub comes in here. The Christians were paying taxes. Those taxes built that Colosseum. And were paying the jailers who were going to condemn them to death. Well, surely God must say, I have a right now to back out my contributions, taxes to Rome, because after all, look what they're doing. They've constructed this arena and they're paying people, they're paying their courts and it's all to set me up so I can be Saturday's entertainment. And he puts the story in. You give to Caesar what is Caesar and you give to God what's God. Oh, that was a hot button. But see, one of the things we have to recognize in today in our culture is the fact that if you look hard enough, you will find fault with anybody who's in political office. And if you'll take the time, you'll find that you have fault too. Jesus said, why do you worry about the speck in your brother's eye when you got this big old plank sticking out of your own? And I'll just tell you this. It's sad to see how some of our authorities are treated. I had the opportunity a couple months ago to be in Washington, D.C. and be with some families of some of our representatives and such. And just, not to hear just from the rep, what is it like to be married in this context? What is it like to try to raise your kids here? And I heard stories of spouses who said, yeah, I have to grocery shop at 2 a.m. in the morning because I can't go into a store without somebody unloading on me. And when I say unload, they said literally using every 
conceivable verbiage of swearing that you can conceive. And my kids are with me. Do you think my kids being with me stops them? It doesn't. So now I put my kids to bed. My husband goes to bed. I get up at 2 a.m. I go grocery shop. We can't go to restaurants anymore because somebody will unload on us. Somebody will. And so our idea of going out is ordering takeout. And we try to find some place, a park, somewhere we, we can go. I broke my heart. Because, see, they are servants. And I'm thinking, what kind of people would eat? Listen, you would never put yourself in that position unless you had a servant's heart. I even asked them, I said, well, then why do you do this? And they said, because we care. We know we get painted with a brush by both sides of the media, whether it be conservative or liberal. They all, they all got a brush that they want to paint us with, you know, that we're this and we're that. But we understand it's the same 10 to 12. Listen, they said, you see the same 10 to 12 people behind the microphone every night. They said, you do realize there's 350 more of us who aren't talking into the microphone and we're just doing our jobs. We're just raising our family. And so I just tell you this, I'm friends with people on both sides. So when I'm friends with, with, with somebody on the liberal side, I have people go, uh, you know they're liberal? Okay. Well, you shouldn't be around them. Uh, how will they know Jesus? And then when I'm with conservatives, I get a little, you know they're conservatives. Some of those whack jobs. Okay? Well, you shouldn't be around them. They'll hurt your image. Okay, but they need Jesus too. You know, how to, it is amazing. We think the absence of light will convert people. Now, I never said I agreed with their policies. But I don't know where we got this idea that in order to be my friend, you have to agree with me on 100%. Well, in that, that case, my wife and I are in trouble. We have long discussions just about sometimes what we're going to eat. I mean, you know, you go, well, you've got to be in total agreement. Well, you've never ridden in my car when we're trying to decide where we're going to go eat. It's just... When did it, have you ever wanted to say something and you're scared to death to say it? <laughs> this is that moment. <laughs> Where did we ever get the idea that being mean was a witness? I'll show you. I'll just be mean. And when was the last time anybody said, yeah, I'll tell you what. When did you accept Jesus? When everybody was mean to me. I mean, the texts are flying in, the emails are flying in, people are screaming at me at the grocery store, they're screaming at me at the, at the you know, just, I mean, after a while, you know, you're just kind of like, wow, I need to get saved. <laughs> I'm telling you, as Christians, we're not careful, we get sucked in to giving an American response, and not a biblical one. We don't thrive because of the climate. By the way, let me give you some examples. 
It's amazing. And I know that some of these stories you may not be aware of, so it's one with some of the places the gospel has thrived is when the political climate of a particular country was at its worst. I had the opportunity to go into Sudan uh, just a few weeks after President Clinton had sent those Tomahawk missiles in. I had the ability to be in there for a couple weeks. And the, the, the church was exploding. It was growing 25% a year with this oppressive government and all the suspicions surrounding and the church was exploding, and we had to go in, and we were trying to assess how to create a Bible school to get these people trained so that they knew what they were doing with their churches because we just had people going, well, who wants to be pastor? <laughs> you know, that's, I mean, that's great, but it's got its inherent problems. Everybody understand it, right? And then another place that we learned this is in China when they kicked us out and meaning Western civilization or missionaries in 1948 when we were, everybody was booted out of China and it was closed for almost 50 years. When we left, there were 2 million believers. After 50 years, we were finally able to get back in and get some missionaries to try to, what's left of the church? Is there anything left of the church? And get this, they went from 2 million people to 50 million. Wow, they didn't need our help. It thrived. And one of the hot spots for Christianity growing today, this will shock you, the fastest place on planet Earth right now, and I'm not talking numbers, I'm talking percentage. The fastest percentage growth for Christianity right now, Iran. And yet, it is one of the most oppressive governments. Why? The young people and even young families, see, that's all they've ever known. And they're so disillusioned and they're like, Islam is not working. And it hasn't worked in decades. So when do we get a life? When do we start to be able to live? And so while they're not getting political freedom, they are finding spiritual freedom. And I just tell you that. The church flourishes whether we have political favoritism or not, we are to flourish. And everybody said amen. amen. All right, last one, number four, read it out loud. Our strength and ability to flourish comes from being in relationship with Jesus and living out biblical values. So there's two things that Mark puts in his gospel to send a signal because the Christians are wondering, who's in charge? Does God even know what's going on here? And there's two, he uses the word obey only twice. In his whole gospel, he only uses it twice. And they're a signal, they're a subtle message to the church. The people were so amazed that they asked each other, who is this? A new teaching. And with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. And he was telling the followers of Christ, listen to me, those impure spirits that are doing what they're doing right now, they still yield to Jesus. When he says it's over, it's over. When he says it's done, it's done. Evil thinks it's winning today. But Jesus still has the final word. And then you jump to Mark chapter 4, verse 41, when Jesus calmed the storm. And it says the disciples, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And Mark was telling them there, Jesus is in charge of the climate that you're in right now. I know it's a storm, I know it's crazy, but when he stands up and says, peace be still, there will be peace. 
the evil spirits and the climate of this, of this Roman Empire, when Jesus says it's done, it's done. And by the way, they never did get the favoritism that they were seeking for centuries. The Christians just lived their life in the midst of adversity, being hunted and wanted, and in 300 years, half the Roman Empire had been converted to Christianity. And the emperor of that day said, why are we outlawing all these Christians? Because all they do is grow. Half the empire now is converted. Let them have buildings and let them have property. They're legal. This is ridiculous. We've outlawed them for centuries. And all they've done now is half the Roman Empire has been converted. Let me tell you, it's not our politics. Listen to me. It's how we live. You say, real? Yeah, so listen. It's, it's what we prioritize. Whether our government is favorable in a season or whether our government is unfavorable in a season, what they can't do is tell me what my priorities ought to be. If I say that God is my priority, they can't stop my priority of God being that in my life. I might have to practice my faith differently because of something, but the bottom line is, is they can't take Jesus off the throne of my life. If I say he's my priority, that stays that way. It's what we give to. If I want to give to help somebody, I'm going to do it. They don't, they don't have the ability to regulate my activity every day. I can't stop it. It's how we talk. We talk different. We act different. It's, it's what we volunteer for. See, I know we just came through a season of where now abortion has, is being, becoming more difficult, more illegal. The courts now, after all these years, have changed it back. And here's the thing. You know what changed my volunteerism in that world? My wife and I have been a part of the pro-life movement in helping mothers and helping children. We've been, they said, well, it's legal now to have an abortion. You know what that did for us? We still went ahead and helped people anyway. And now the law has shifted back the other direction. You know what that's changed for us? Nothing. We still help anyway. They can't change what I volunteer for. They can't change who I want to help. It's how we treat people. I don't care their politics. I don't care their language. I don't care their nationality. I don't care their economic status. I'm going to be good to people regardless. I don't care whether they're educated or not educated. I don't care if they can speak my language or not speak my language. I'm going to be a good person to them. Every person has dignity. And it's how and what we teach our kids. Some of you parents know what I'm talking about. You're finding yourselves having to take your kids aside and say, I know what you're hearing in some of these other venues, but let me tell you what Pastor, Dan tell, Pastor Danielle tells you, that's truth. You hear what Pastor Greg says? That's truth. And you need to take that truth and you need to filter what you hear sometimes in schools and on the streets and these other venues and you need to understand that that's not always truth that you may be hearing. And so we're, we're not afraid to have those conversations with our kids and say, no, no, no. I know they mean well, and I know they're, that's not true. 
this is true. It's how we teach our kids. It's what we tell them. Hey, folks, we're just different. Get used to it. Get used to it. We're just different, and that's okay. And let me tell you, as we wrap this up, the most powerful thing you do is live your life by biblical values. That is not up for a vote. That's your choice. Live your life. It's a powerful statement. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's all stand and wrap it up today. Come on, all over this place. Would you just lift your hands and I want you to praise him today, would you? Come on, thank him. Thank him that you have the ability to choose to do what's right even when the context and the environment might make it difficult, you get to choose. Come on, praise Him for that today.